Blog Talk Radio. Rise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. A new day has dawned. All over the earth, men and women are arising. It's time for the sons of God to awake. It is a day of justice, recompense. Restoration, revival, and resurrection power. Xavier, pastor of New Wine Ministries. Great to be with you today. Trust you're doing very, very well on this Tuesday morning. It really is good to be with you. We're going to really touch on some very interesting topics today. So I pray the Lord would bless your understanding and help me to present properly a biblical reality that's going on in the world right now that has been here before and will most certainly increase in the days that lie ahead. But first, I want to thank the Lord for every good thing. And I want to pray before we begin. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless every single person that will be listening to this broadcast, those who will be peering in and looking and watching and listening carefully. And I thank you for every Bible that is open. I thank you for the opportunity to minister the Word of God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will bring enlightenment and truth and that this Word will be relevant to our lives personally and individually and corporately in Jesus' name. I ask you, Holy Spirit, right now to sanctify the airwaves, to clear the air, and to bring sound wisdom to the hearts of those who are seeking to know what time it is in the history of the world in which we live. We ask for the spirit of revelation. We ask for the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and the spirit of truth to guide us through the word today in Jesus' name. And so this is our prayer. The Lord bless you. And let's go ahead and move into the topic today is conflict of powers. Conflict of powers is what we're talking about today. And 
when we think about conflict of powers, we may think of, you know, corporate powers battling one another in the, in the business world or corporate powers um, or a conflict of powers being among nations, uh, different governments around the world. Uh, one of the great conflict of powers is the power of the kingdom of God with the governments of the world or the principalities and powers belonging to the satanic empire. So we are talking about a conflict of powers. There may be a conflict of powers in your own heart, in your own home. We may find conflict of powers in a church or in a particular business. Um, but we know that we're living in the day of the conflict of powers, and we need to see the glory of God in what God is doing. See, personally, I believe that the kingdom of God is a present reality. I believe that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven presently. I believe he's been there for two millennial day or 2,000 years. And I believe that he is going to remain in heaven until the times of restitution of all things, which is during the 1,000-year millennial reign, as I understand it. I believe that he will be seated in the heavens until all of his enemies are made a footstool under his feet. And I believe that he is the head of the body and that the body is in the earth and has been for 2,000 years from generation to generation. I believe that. And I believe that every generation has afforded the ecclesia an opportunity to rule and reign in the midst of their enemies. I do believe that our generation has to see a glorious, uh, powerful move of God and uh, in conflict with powers. The, the difference, I think, in our thinking sometimes is we think that the government of God that's in the earth today somehow is going to produce a beautiful environment around the world. Well, that's not always the case. As a matter of fact, if you go back to the government of God in the days of Moses, for example, when God was raising up his government and mantling his vessels uh, for the moment they were living in, it didn't produce a beauty in the world. It actually produced 10 major plagues upon the world system in order to release God's people from their bondage and captivity. We fast forward to the days of Elijah. There was the government of God again in the days of Elijah. And what happened in the days of Elijah? He didn't create a beautiful atmosphere. The government of God that was in that prophetic mantle shut up the heavens for three and a half years that it did not rain. And there was a great drought in the land, and many people died. So there you have, again, the government of God, but it was not to make everything in the world beautiful. It was always to draw God's people back to God's heart, and they would advance the kingdom of God in a world that is resistant and opposed or stands opposite to the purposes of God. Well, in the last days, we're going to probably touch on this a little bit today in Revelation chapter 11, there are the two prophets known as the two witnesses, but in Revelation 11, it calls them two witnesses and two prophets. That's who they are, the two candlesticks uh, or the, the two olive branches, I'm sorry. And what do they do? What do these two witnesses do? Well, they strike the earth with as many plagues as they desire, as often as they desire. And if anybody resists them or comes against them, they must die. Fire comes out of their mouth. They shut up the heavens. They, they cause the waters to be turned into blood. And really, the two witnesses have the exact description of what both Moses and Elijah did. So those two witnesses represent a form of the government of God. And this is very important to understand that as God is raising up his government in the world, it is going to be contending with all the other governments of the world. God's government is situated in the heavens. 
the governor of the government or the king of his government is Yahshua, Jesus. He is already victorious. He has already overcome. Now he is seated waiting for his enemies, all authorities, principalities, and powers, to be made a footstool under his feet. He operates through his ecclesia on the earth. The Spirit of the Lord operates through the ecclesia, God's people on the earth. So when God begins to raise up his government in a world that is satanically inspired in their governmental powers, you're going to have conflict. So the rising of the government of God is not going to produce peace in the earth. The rising of the government of God is going to shake the earth. And the rising of the true government of God will cause a lot of problems to take place in the earth. That is all biblical. That is all accurate. And so today we're going to move into uh, my background here. Welcome to the island of Patmos, by the way, where the apostle John was cast upon the island of Patmos for the word of God. And the word Patmos, by the way, means my killing. So John, who had already been dipped in oil and burned uh, his whole body and had been imprisoned, he was sent to the island of Patmos, the island of my killing. But it was there that God opened up the heavens and brought John into the supernatural. And it was there that the revelation for the last days was presented unto him And you and I have the privilege and honor today of going to the book of Revelation by the Spirit of God that was in John, teaching John, showing John. John was writing. It was to give wisdom to a generation that would wake up one day and be in the world stage when it was all set to go. So I'm excited about going back to the book of Revelation. And today we're going to talk about this conflict of powers. We're going to talk about the four winds the four winds out of Revelation chapter 7, and then we're going to proceed from there in the book. So again, I hope you have your Bible open. And I want to just begin today with um, going back through some scriptures that actually talk about the four winds, the four winds. And one of the first passages that we find in scripture concerning the four winds is in Jeremiah chapter 49. So Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 36, we read these words. And upon Elam will I bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and will scatter them toward all those winds. And there shall be no nation whither the outcast of Elam shall not come. So when God sends the four winds, it comes in the form of judgment and it scatters, okay, the nation of Elam was in view here. Now, in Ezekiel 37, here's a very interesting passage about the four winds. In Ezekiel 37, 9, then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord, God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So here we have the four winds that are bringing life to the nation of Israel. So this is the breath of God. This is an ability to bring judgment, and we see there's an ability to bring life and to produce some very good things, the four winds. But Daniel chapter 7, verse 2 is a very interesting, I love this passage, because Daniel, the book of Daniel, and the book of Revelation, they fit hand in glove. So much that we read about in the book of Revelation, we find 
in the book of Daniel. Like in Revelation 13, for example, uh, we have a statue being built. Well, it was in the days of Daniel that they built a, uh, a big statue to Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we talk about the four beasts in Revelation chapter 13. Um, you see those beasts in Daniel chapter 7. And so in Daniel chapter 7, verse 2, here's what we read. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. Now, a really cool translation that really expresses what he saw uh, actually says that I saw the four winds, political and social agitations that were striving upon the great sea of humanity. And so if we would get a proper view of what Daniel chapter 7 is, the political and social agitations were stirring up the great sea of humanity, and out of humanity rose four different beasts or empires or kingdoms. And he actually talks about them being the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire, and the Roman Empire. And then this all kind of, these kingdoms, and then there's a rock out of the side of a mountain that destroys them all. We'll get there in just a little bit. So Daniel talks about these four winds as political and social agitations. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 8, therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong, the great horn was broken, and for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. So again, we have four winds. Uh, that are moving toward the four, uh, or the four notable horns moving toward the four winds. In other words, this notable horn, this power, this principality was moving out in every direction throughout the earth, again, creating a global one world government, an empire of the earth, and there have been many of them before America ever showed up on the scene. So now we go to Daniel 11.4, and it talks about, and when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken, and he shall, and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven, and not to his posterity. So he's talking here about the winds of judgment, the scattering again of a broken nation or a broken empire, a broken kingdom. Zechariah chapter 2, verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord, for I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, saith the Lord. So again, we're seeing the scattering abroad. We're seeing the spreading abroad to the four directions of the earth. So all over the world, when the winds blow, they're scattered. These are very important topics. Now we get into the New Testament, and the first place we find conversation about the four winds is in Matthew 24, 31. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So the elect of God that will be spread out on the face of the earth after the great tribulation, when the Lord returns in context, he will send his angels and gather all the elect of God that have spread out all over the world. Okay. Now, in Mark 13, 27, it's the same concept, so we won't read that. But now we're going to get to a particular passage of scripture, which is where I want to go, Revelation chapter 7. And we're going to begin to read in verse 1. So remember what we had been talking about. Uh, the book of Revelation is a prophecy. And there's a whole bunch of information you could get from one of our earlier 
teachings on the book of Revelation. Um, and by the time we get to the seventh chapter, okay, we have a pause in the pangs. We have a release of prophecy in Revelation chapter 6 with the first five seals. We talk symbolically the potential possibility of the sixth seal having opened if we use symbolic uh, uh, and we're allowed to do so, by the way, as we view the book of Revelation through the four different views. They're interchangeable. So the potential possibility that the sixth seal has also opened in our generation. We certainly know the first five have. And so that now we move into Revelation chapter 7 where there's a pause in the pangs. And remember how we equated the, the opening of the seals to the beginning of sorrows. And everything in the first four seals our hand in glove with Matthew 24, verses 4 to 8, where all the things that were said there by Jesus, and then he said, these are the beginning of sorrows. Everything in Revelation chapter 6 and the first four seals are connected to those events in Matthew 24, 4 to 8. And so you have a, a reality of what Jesus talked in the mini apocalypse and what was happening in the book of Revelation. So here we begin. Okay, this is a pause in the pangs, Revelation 7-1. After these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. So we have four angels that are holding back the four winds. Now, these four winds are going to blow upon the earth. They're going to blow upon the sea. They're going to blow upon Trees, green grass, we're going to see that in just a moment. But why are these four angels holding back the four winds? Okay, there's something that has to happen before the release of the four winds. Now, the four winds are the beginning of the next level of judgments because the seals definitely brought judgment or chaos or confusion into the earth. But remember how we started today. When God's government begins to rise, it doesn't produce necessarily peace on earth. When God's government begins to rise and there are conflict of nations or the powers of darkness are conflicted with God's rising government, you have a shaking in the earth. So just because we see the beginning of the book of Revelation open in chapter 6 with the first six seals, those are upheavals in the world. But that's okay. That is a sign that the government of God is rising. So now there's a pause in the pangs, and now there is a next movement of these four winds that are going to blow. And when they blow, you're going to see it's going to create massive upheaval in the earth at a, as a greater level of intensity in the birth pangs. But it's not against the people of God, the true saints of God. It is as a result of the rising of the children of God. And I believe in our generation that God has been raising up sons and daughters that he is about to mantle with kingdom authority like they've never known before. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. And because of the birthing of the true sons and daughters of God, there is this shaking going on, this conflict. That is taking place. Now, verse 2 of Revelation chapter 7 says, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed 
the servants of our God in their foreheads. All right, now you know that Revelation chapter 7, in verses 1, 2, and 3, there is an Old Testament passage that is just like this. So in chapter 7, we come to a pause in the pangs of the first six seals, okay? The shaking of the earth has begun in our generation, I believe, since 9-11-2001 and onward to where we are today. And I believe that everything that we've seen thus far was just the beginning of sorrows. And I believe that the labor pains are about to intensify and quicken. And I believe that before they do, there's a pause. Chapter 7 is the pause. Now, let me read out of Ezekiel chapter 9. The book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel spoke to his generation. And let's read what it says in chapter 9, Ezekiel 9. And I'll just begin in verse 1. And then we're going to connect it to Revelation 7. So in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1, he cried in my ears with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near. Even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lies toward the north. And every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a rider's inkhorn by his side. And they went in and stood beside the brazen altar. So here you have six men with their destroying weapons. You have another one that is there that has an inkhorn. He's, he's, he's not a destroying weapon, but an inkhorn to write upon. And we read in verse 3, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So if we go interchangeably, Revelation chapter 7 the four angels are holding back the four winds, but there's another angel comes, and what is he to do? It says in verse 3, he said with a loud voice, saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. So the writer angel, the angel that has the inkhorn, while the four angels are holding back the four winds of judgment, they're going to shake the earth, he's now going to mark those, according to Ezekiel chapter 9, who sigh and cry for the abominations that are committed in the land. Now, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration. There are a lot of people that are viewing what's going on in our world today uh, from different perspectives. Uh, there are those who are frustrated by uh, seeing what's going on in our country and around the world. And there are those who sigh and cry for the abominations like the promotion of homosexuality, LGBTQ community, the shedding of innocent blood, the corruption that we see men with, um, Jeffrey Epstein's island. We see so much evil in Hollywood. We see so much evil in the Supreme Court, in our government, in the things that are going on, the saturation levels of blood that is flown through the bodies of these innocent babies down into the, the you know, the, 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 the sinks and, and bathtubs and the blood beneath our feet is unbelievable. But there are people that weren't just angry. They were sighing and crying 
And God said, mark those who do sigh and cry, those who are upset over what is happening, where a lot of people in the church just go with the flow, let's just keep our machinery going, let's keep our big churches going, we got to keep going, we don't want to get in trouble with the world government, we don't want to speak up, we don't want to speak out, so just be quiet, and you know how that is. So what happened, the writer's inkhorn, and the Lord said, set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. Verse 5 of Ezekiel chapter 9. And to the others he said in my hearing, go ye after him. So these six, destroying weapon, go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women, but come not near any man upon whom is the mark, and begin at my sanctuary. Then they began at the ancient men, which were before the house, and he said unto them, Defile the house, fill the courts with the slain, go ye forth, and they went forth and slew in the city. Now, in verse 8 it says, And it came to pass, while they were slaying them, and I was left, said the prophet Ezekiel, that I fell upon my face and cried and said, Ah, Lord God, will you destroy all the residue of Israel and thy pouring out of thy fury upon Jerusalem? Here's the mystery of Revelation chapter 7. When the six seals opened, it was global chaos. And that's what you've been witnessing since 9-11-2001 in our generation. Global chaos all over the world from weather patterns to wars, rumors of wars, deception, and all the crazy stuff that's been going on for 20 years. But in the next level of judgment in Revelation chapter 7, when the scene is about to change, this judgment of the four angels loosing the four winds around the world, according to Ezekiel chapter 9, it touches the people of God who are lukewarm and compromised. I believe if we're going to allow the Bible to interpret itself and we're looking at the four winds of Revelation 7 that are about to blow all over the world, it's going to begin at the sanctuary. And this is where Peter wrote, the judgment begins in the house of God. God has given the, the church plenty of time to view what's been going on in this world and how we have responded is going to show up in now the next wave of judgment. I believe, just like it said in Ezekiel, that it's going to begin in God's sanctuary. It's going to begin in his house. It's going to hit the people of Jerusalem. It's going to hit Israel, representing the people of God today. So I would say that we're, what we're about to see happen in the world, but what does it say in Revelation chapter 7? I want you to seal out of all the tribes of Israel, I want you to seal those who are the overcomers, the elect, those who, according to Ezekiel, would sigh and cry for the abominations in the earth. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that 144,000 number as well and who they are, okay? And that's important, but I want you to get the image right now. We are in a pause. Believe it or not, even though there are floodings going crazy in Washington today, 50,000 people are without power or whatever, Belarus and the other part of the world in Europe, they have migrants or immigrants at the border, and there's battles going on there. There's still the effect of the, the, the beginning of sorrows with the release of the seals that is being felt around the world. It's general. But now there comes this moment. We just went through 2020. You know about what we saw in our own country. 
uh, and we're still bracing for more violence and turmoil, but there's this stilling moment. Something is going to shift. Now, the next level of judgment, I believe, according to Ezekiel, is going to begin in the church and all churches on the earth today, because it's not just a singular nation called Israel. There's an ecclesia, there's a church of, of people that profess Christ all over the world. And I believe the next wave, this Revelation 7, these four winds are going to start in the house of God. But before they blow these four winds, there's got to be a sealing of the saints of God. Now, who are they? Those who sigh and cry for the abomination. So when we read out of Revelation chapter 7, you're going to have to pay very specific attention right now. And you're, again, without being born again and having a, uh, being born of the Spirit, being born of water, being born again, you will never understand what's about to be said. It'll make no sense to you because you'll be in your mind of logic and human reasoning with a carnal mind trying to figure things out. But by the Spirit and by the Word, this should become very clear that the 144,000 are not necessarily talking about only Jewish people according to the flesh. And I'm going to show you why. And you should consider this deeply because this is not anti-Jewish. This is not anti-Israel. This is an all-inclusive reality of what happened in Ephesians chapter 2. So let's get into who is going to be sealed. And I want to read out of Ephesians chapter 2 right now uh, a principle. And then I'm going to go to Romans chapter 11. So let's get this finalized in our thinking, that all of these scriptures were written before the book of Revelation was ever written. So we have to come to an understanding about what the Word of God says by the time we get to the book of Revelation. And what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, and I begin in verse 11, and I'm going to read a few verses, but there's one we're going to really center on. So Ephesians 2:11. this is for the students that are born again, that want to understand the word of God. So when we look at the 144,000 sealed saints in Revelation 7, you'll have a better understanding who they are. Now, wherefore remember, Ephesians 2:11, that you being in time past, you being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, that's who you were, that's what you were, in time past, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. So let's just say it. The Jewish people called the Gentiles the uncircumcised. The Jewish people from Abraham on, where God gave the covenant of circumcision, the Jewish people were known as the circumcision, and all the rest of the world were the uncircumcised. They were called Gentiles. Paul's writing by the Spirit now saying, you in time past. In other words, this is what you used to be, a Gentile. You were called the uncircumcision. Now, you, uh, and they were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision that was made in the flesh by hand. So the actual circumcision going back to Abraham. Verse 12, that at that time, now at that time, Gentile called the uncircumcision, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, you are strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. That's who you were before you were born again, right? So Paul's writing to the Gentiles 
who were called the uncircumcised. They were without hope. They had no commonwealth of Israel. They didn't know the covenants of promise. They were just wandering people like you and I were. Verse 13, but now. So he says that's who you were, but now in Christ Jesus, now you're in Christ, now you've accepted Christ, now you're born again, now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. So now what we were is no longer our reality because when we came to Christ, we were brought into something, we were brought near. And then we go on and read in verse 14, for Jesus, he is our peace who has, and here's the key, who has made both the Jew and the Gentile, the circumcision and the uncircumcision, he, Jesus Christ, our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition. There was a partition wall between the Jew and the Gentile, between the circumcision and the uncircumcision. But in Jesus Christ, that middle wall of partition was broken down having abolished in his flesh, this is talking about Jesus on the cross, he abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments, in ordinances, for to make in himself. So Jesus took all the ordinances, the commandments, he took it upon himself, he abolished in his flesh, he abolished all the writings against the Jewish people, all the ordinances against the Jewish people, we could go deep into that territory on another day that even the Ten Commandments have been abolished. But I know people go, outraged. But wait, read Second Corinthians chapter 3 before you get so outraged and tell me what you come up with, okay? So anyways, Jesus, our peace, broke down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments, in ordinances, for to make in himself of two, the Jew and the Gentile, one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both the Jew and the Gentile unto God, because the Jews needed it. They were falling away from God. They had failed miserably keeping the law of God. So through Jesus Christ, he's reconciling both the Jew and the Gentile unto God in one body by the cross. Now, there's only one body of Christ. There's not a Jewish body of Christ and a Gentile body of Christ. There's only one body of Christ made up of Jew and Gentile. Now, once we were Gentiles, once we were Jews, but in Christ Jesus, there is neither Jew or Gentile. That's in your Bible. So the body is Christ, okay? Born again, new creature, new species, who were once in the world, linearly speaking, horizontally speaking, Jew-Gentile paradigm, that paradigm has ended. A born-again paradigm of Jews and Gentiles reconciled to God in one body, not a Jewish body, not a Gentile body, but the body of Christ was God's eternal purpose, to have a people who were after his own image and likeness. This we know according to Scripture. So he's slain the enmity by the cross, 
He came and he preached peace to you, the Gentiles, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh, to the Jews. So both the Jew and the Gentile needed the preaching of the cross and the Messiah to bring them back to God. And it says in verse 18, for through him, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now, I honestly challenge you to go tonight or today after this broadcast and read 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want you to note how the law, speaking specifically to the Ten Commandments, how it is abolished, how it is done away, how it is fading away, how it is uh, a veil, it keeps a veil over people's minds, how it has been destroyed. You need to read 2 Corinthians chapter 3 to get the revelation of what God is bringing you into in a new covenant and not think it's somehow against the Jewish people. It's not against Israel. It's not anti-Semitic. It is not replacement theology. What Christ has done is so far superior to anything that ever existed that both the Jews and the Gentiles need to step into it so that God can take them into the eternal purpose that he intended for them. But there are so many people that insist on keeping things a certain way, but the Bible says that middle wall was broken down. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 11. I wanted you to see this as well before we go back to Revelation chapter 7. So in Revelation chapter 11, listen to what it says in verse 17. In verse 17. And if some of the branches, now he's talking about the Jewish people being the natural branches on the olive tree, okay? You can go back and do your study in all of Romans chapter 11, what Paul is talking about. But remember, he was a Pharisee. He was a, uh, a tribe of Benjamin. He was a stock of Abraham. Uh, he was, uh, according to the law, he was blameless, right? So he's writing things that he knows about. And in Romans eleven seventeen, he said, if some of the branches, the Jewish people, be broken off, and you, the Gentiles, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. Underline that in your Bible. Paul was telling the Gentiles in Rome and all over the world to all generations by the Holy Spirit that you were Gentiles, just like he said to the Ephesians. Some of the Jewish people did not believe in the Messiah, so they were broken off from what God was going to do. Temporarily, they were broken off. They will be regrafted, we know, at the end of this chapter, which is glorious. So again, not anti-Jewish, not anti-Semitic, no replacement theology. It just boils down to faith in who the Messiah is. And he said that you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them. So the first people to receive the covenant, the new covenant, were the Jewish people. When Yeshua came, he came to, the, to Jewish people first, to the Hebrews, to uh, Judah. To, I mean, you put any name you want. He came to the natural branches first, the true Jews. There were many people in Jesus' society that were calling themselves Jews, but really they were nothing but, uh, you know, different, uh, forgetting the names now, but they were the Pharisees and scribes uh, weren't even from the same lineage of the Jews. So there were those that were calling themselves Jews and were not. They were liars. But the true Jews that went out to Jesus by the multitudes, they became the first fruits of the new covenant 
and the first fruits of the eternal body of Christ. And then we know in Acts chapter 10, the spirit of the Lord was poured out on the Gentiles. And I might say that God chose the Italians first. You got to read it. <laughs> Acts chapter 10, the house of Cornelius. He was the head of the Italian band. But anyways, the Jews and the Italians, there's something there that God likes about. Anyways, okay, just messing around with you for a moment. <clears throat> now, he goes on in Romans chapter 11, and he goes on to say that the wild olive tree, the Gentiles, were grafted in among them. Now, if you've been grafted in among the true Israel of God, okay, you're going to show up in Revelation chapter 7, and I'm going to show you how in just a moment. He goes on to say that we have been grafted in among them, and with them partake of the root and fatness of the olive tree. We're partakers now of the covenants. We're partakers of everything. We've been grafted in among them. We are now partakers of the root, and I am the root of David, the root of Jesse, Yeshua. All right? He's the root of the olive tree. Come on, let's be honest about it. So, Verse 18, Paul cautioned again, boast not against the branches or the Jews that were broken off for unbelief. The Jews, the real people, the Jews, they just didn't believe in the Messiah. So they were broken off. But he said, don't boast against the branches. If you boast, you bear not the root, but the root thee. Okay. Now, verse 19, you will say then, well, the branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. That's replacement theology teaching. That's not the truth. Well, Paul wrote, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. So people that preach replacement theology ought to be in terror right now before the Lord, thinking that somehow their high-mindedness has brought them to a higher place because God hated the Jews. God forbid that's not true theology. Watch this. For if God spared not the natural branches, the Jewish people that didn't believe, take heed lest he also spare not you. So, you know, replacement theology. See, some people think when you preach against the Ten Commandments, that's anti-Semitic. If you teach against the laws of God in the Old Testament, um, that's anti-Semitic. No, it's not. God gave the, the Jewish people all that, but he gave them something greater and better in the Messiah, in the covenant of grace and truth and spirit. We'll get into that as we go. But I want you to listen now to verse 22 of Romans 11. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. God is good and God could be severe, right? On them which fell, severity. The unbelieving Jews that did not receive the Messiah, severity hit their lives. And it certainly in 70 AD, it certainly did. Come on. Now, but toward you who believe goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. Talk about once saved, always saved. He's telling the believers, you're standing by faith. You better not be high-minded. And if God broke off the natural branches out of this new covenant olive tree, you better take heed because I'll cut you off too. Wow. Now, verse 23. And they also, the unbelieving Jews, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. So if they repent of their unbelief, God's going to graft them in again. 
for God is able to graft them in again. So God can take all the unbelieving Jewish people, the, tr- the natural Jews, the true Jews, who haven't believed in Yeshua the Messiah, and he's able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, dear Gentile, right, If you in times past, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural, be grafted into their own olive tree? So God is able to do it. Let's go now to Revelation chapter 7 again. You just saw that the new covenant is made up of Jews and Gentiles, but have become one new man. It's not Jew or Gentile. It's Christ. You just saw that in all the way back to the early days of Paul's writings to the church of Rome, that the Gentiles were grafted in among that tree, which is Christ, with the Jews. Some of the Jews were broken off. He's able to graft them in again. My point is, when we read Revelation chapter 7, we have to read it through that particular lens. Because it, what Christ was giving John on the island of Patmos has to be viewed by scripture that has already been laid down. So what does it look like now? Well, in verse 4 of Revelation chapter 7, I heard the number of them who were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. So immediately people start thinking out of an old mindset, well, this is revealing to the 12 tribes of Israel back there. Those tribes, two of them don't even exist in the, in the New Testament, which we'll talk, we could talk about again. But here it says, and you'll see it actually as we go forward, the 144,000 out of the 12 tribes of Israel, the olive tree. But weren't you grafted in? So the 12 tribes of Israel is referring to the olive tree making up the Israel of God. Okay, it's only one olive tree, and Jews and Gentiles are part of it. We were grafted into it. So if there's a ceiling of the 12,000 from each tribe, if you have been grafted in, you've also been assimilated and probably carry a DNA likeness in your born-again spirit of some of the meaning of the tribes of Israel. Ultimately, it all flows out of the one root, Yeshua. He's the root. He's also the head. He's, he's everything. He's the trunk. He's everything. You are the, I am the vine. You are the branches. We know these things. So now what does it really look like? Well, he sealed 12,000 from each tribe. Of the tribe of Judah. Oh, wait a second. Let's go back here to of the tribe of Judah. Yeah, first we're sealed 12,000. So tribe of Judah. The tribe of Reuben. 12,000. The tribe of Gad. 12,000. The tribe of Asher, 12,000. The tribe of Nephilim, 12,000. The tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Tribe of Simeon, 12,000. And you may be thinking, well, I don't belong to any of those tribes. That's talking about Israel. Wait a second. You've been grafted into this olive tree and these branches, these tribes, which they were, they were just offshoots of Jacob who became Israel. And every son was a branch. It was an extension of himself. You're in here if you can believe it, if you can hear it. But let's go on. The tribe of Simeon, 12,000. The tribe of Levi, 12,000. The tribe of Issachar, 12,000. The tribe of Zebulon, 12,000. The tribe of Joseph, 
12,000. The tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. Dan's not in there. And there's another tribe where you have uh, Manasseh is and Joseph is. And I mean, it's really awesome how things shift. But you have to receive it through your born-again spirit to understand what's being said. Or here's what's going to happen. People are still going to say that the Jewish people hold the preeminence in the body of Christ. That is not true. Let me explain. The only preeminent member in the body of Christ is Jesus Christ himself. He is the preeminent one. All of us, the Jews who were first, that's why we don't get high-minded, and the Gentiles were grafted together into one tree. We have all, by the grace and mercy of God, been gathered together. So when he's sealing 12,000, who is he sealing? Those who sigh and cry for the abominations. He's not saying this is an Israeli thing separated from the, everything else he's been teaching us. Everything else he's been teaching us is there's one Israel of God, there's one olive tree, there's one body, it is Christ. So now all of a sudden we come here and we get a Jew-Gentile paradigm going on again. And that's not God's intent. This is not to take away from the Jewish people. There are Jewish people in the body of Christ that sigh and cry for the abominations, and there are those who don't. And there are people in, you know, if you want to go with that paradigm, Gentiles who sigh and cry for the abomination, those who don't. But we got to get rid of that paradigm. It's not a biblical New Testament paradigm. But some people confuse things. So I hope you're not confused, and I hope you have some great questions. But let's go on in the prophecy now. The 144,000 were sealed. Who are they? Well, we just saw in the Old Testament, they sigh and cry for the abominations that were committed in the land. They didn't do those things. Now, 12,000 from each tribe, you know that there are a lot more people in these end times belonging to the body of Christ, Jews and Gentiles, who have been born again into Christ. The Jew-Gentile paradigm is gone. These 144,000 are obviously a people who sigh and cry for the abominations. They didn't do those things. But Revelation 14 tells us exactly who they are and the reason why they were sealed. Okay? Why were these 144,000 sealed? Is it a symbolic number? Is the 12,000 by 12,000 uh, or 12,000 by 12 uh, the symbolic number, the 144,000? Well, let's take a look. Let's take a look. It says in Revelation 14, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion. The lamb, Jesus, the Christ. And with him, 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. Why did 144,000 have their father's name written in their foreheads? Now, remember, if you do a study in the Greek on the word name, the Father's name means his nature, his character. And, and what the, the Messianic movement today, who's insisting on being under the law of Moses still, they all want to go that you got to say Yahusha, Yahusha, Yahuwah, Yahawah. And it's all confusion because they're not understanding the New Testament, number one. And number two, they're not understanding that the word name means nature and character. So the 144,000 have what? The Father's nature. They have the mind of Christ. They have the character of God. These are those who are being conformed into the image of the firstborn son. It's 
true. It's in your Bible. You can look it up. As a matter of fact, here, I'll give you the exact. I'll tell you what it says right here. Oh, I'm in 14. I'd have to go all the way to chapter 14, but I don't mind doing it. Here, let me give you the exact word in chapter 14. I'm going all the way there. Let me do it because you're going to love it. And I'm going to put on my Strong's Concordance. And it says that of 144,000 having his father's name, verse 1, Revelation 14, the word name is the Enoma. And the word Enoma literally means, you ready? A name, literally or figuratively, authority, character. And you go on down to the definition and it covers the nature, the character of God, the authority of God. So the 144,000, now listen, the 144,000 carry the authority, which is the government of God. These 144,000, whether symbolic or literal, they are being mantled with the government of God in the last days to carry out kingdom business while judgment is about to hit from the sanctuary all throughout the earth where God's going to start to clean up his house. But the 144,000 carry a name. Now, let's go back. They carry authority. And remember, we're talking about conflict of kingdoms. Conflict. And, the, and, and you're seeing the 144,000, who they are. They have the name. They have the nature. They have the authority. This is the governmental body of Christ that's, coming to, to, that's rising. And this is why there's so much conflict. Now watch in verse 2. But why them? Why the 144 mantle? Well, here you go. I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Wow. And they sung, the 144,000, as it were a new song. They're singing a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000. 4,000, which were redeemed from the earth. All right, so, man, there's a lot of speculation on what that means. Let me tell you what it means. These 144,000 overcomers, who you're going to see in just a moment, who are mantled with the authority and the character and the nature of Jesus Christ and of God, they know a sound. They hear a sound. They know a song. They know something. There's a spiritual song that is in them. They search it out. They know it. They come to it. They're the only ones on earth that will ever know that sound and will ever know that song. But what is it? Well, and, you know, you and I have been redeemed, by the way. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So these 144,000 were redeemed from the earth as well. We've been redeemed from the earth nature. We've been redeemed from the world, the flesh, the devil. These redeemed from the earth means that they've been totally separated, purchased by the blood of Jesus, belonging to the Lord. Now, who are they? Verse 4. You ready? This has nothing to do with them being Jewish, okay? Nothing against being Jewish, but it doesn't mean you have to be Jewish to get the seal. Look why they were sealed. Verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins, number one, not defiled with women. Well, should we get into symbology there? Does it require that you've never had intercourse with a woman? That means every man that's ever been married to a wife, which is God's original intention, 
are disqualified. No, I don't believe so, because God authored marriage and made of the two one flesh, right? So I don't think it has to do anything with being married and having the, the marriage bed is undefiled for a man and his wife to have sexual intercourse does not disqualify them here. This is talking about they were not defiled with harlots. They were not defiled with um, uh, what you say, a church on every corner. Um, you can go into all kinds of symbology on this. They were not defiled with women. And the only way one could be defiled with women is if they had sexual intercourse outside of the marriage bed. But you and I who have been born again have been forgiven for everything we've ever done. And now we are virgins, wise virgins. And yet there are many people in the body of Christ that watch pornography, that commit fornication and adultery. And that's where this next wave of judgment is going to hit. There's going to be an intensification to deal with this defilement and uncleanness in the body of Christ. But there are those who used to, but have been born again, have confessed, repented, and have been married and are now walking in holiness with God. They are the virgins, the wise virgins. So this is how we understand it to be. Going on in verse 4, it says, These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. So the next aspect of these undefiled wise virgins, not meaning unmarried, meaning not defiled with women outside the covenant of marriage, these also follow the lamb wherever he leads. So whatever the word of God says to do, they do. Whatever the spirit of the Lord tells them to do, they do. And they walk in holiness before the Lord. Then it goes on to say in verse 4, again, this is not anti-Jewish, this is anti-Semitic, this is not replacement theology, this is talking about people that were once called Jew, once called Gentile, who've been born again, have the nature of Christ, the character of Christ, they've been transformed by the renewing of their mind, conformed into the image of the firstborn son, and now they're following the Lamb whithersoever he goes, these, and it continues in verse 4, these were redeemed from among men, yes, we have been, being the first fruits unto God and, of, and to the Lamb. So the first fruits from generation to generation, in the final generation in the book of Revelation prophecy, there are going to be a first fruits company that are going to be separated unto God, redeemed unto God. The Father's nature is in their forehead. The authority of God is in them. They are undefiled. They are the wise virgins. They follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. And verse 5 says this, and in their mouth was found no guile. So far, you haven't seen anything in Revelation chapter 14. The reason why they're the 144,000 is because they're Jewish. What you're seeing is their nature, their character, their conduct, their separateness. They're conforming to the image of Christ, becoming, all right? And in verse 5, and in their mouth was found no guile. Nothing of guile, nothing unclean. They have coming out of their mouth, which is coming from the well of their heart, purification, purity, holiness, righteousness. This is who they are. For they are without fault. This is huge. They are without fault before the throne of God. We're before the throne of God every day of our lives right now. But they're without fault. 
They've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They have accepted the atonement. Their conscience is clear. But look at Jude. If I were to go to the book of Jude, which I'll do here, which is right before the book of Revelation, in the book of Jude, at the end of it, oh, come on, get there. Here it is. This is, this is amazing. So at the book of Jude, verse 24, Jude 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So what is Jude? Go back and read the whole book of Jude. It's about being an overcomer. It's about not falling into sin, not falling away, not becoming like people that have perverted the gospel of Jesus Christ, walking in the flesh, defiling their garments. Okay? This is saying to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory. He's not writing to Jews. He's writing to the church, the one new man, the ecclesia, made up of Jew and Gentile. This is not against Jews. This is not against, this is not replacement theology. This is not anti-Semitic. This is the greatest news in the world for all of creation. Let's go back to Revelation. So I just showed you in Revelation 14 how the word of God interprets itself and how by the time we read Revelation 7 and 14, we better have a pure understanding of what was already laid out before we ever got here, Ephesians, Romans, we're grafted in, we're just one new man, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile. I mean, all that has to be clearly understood unless we immediately go to Revelation and we build the middle wall, and this is about the Jew and the Gentile. It's not that way. All the covenant promises are in Jesus Christ to the Jew and the Gentile that have been born again into that reality. This is the truth. So the bottom line of Revelation chapter 7 in the 144,000, they represent the government of God being mantled in the nature, character, and authority of God in the last days. The four winds are about to blow, and it's going to begin in the sanctuary. Now, let's get back to the four winds. Now, you may ask, well, why don't we do this? Let's go back to Revelation 7, and let's look at verse 9. Because here again, you have a Jew-Gentile paradigm with a lot of teachers, so Revelation 7, 9 is what, ha- what he sees in the pause of the pangs uh, right after the 144,000. Now, we just saw why the 144,000 were sealed. We now know who they are, and we understand that. Well, who were the other ones? Verse 9. Revelation 7, 9, after this I beheld in low a great multitude. And now people say, well, those are the Gentiles. That's a Jew-Gentile mentality. It's not true. Here's what it says. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb. So obviously the big question is, who is this great multitude, which no man could number, Of all nations and all kindreds and people and tongues, who are they? Standing before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, who cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation. So a lot of people that lift up the Jew-Gentile scenario, paradigm, they say, well, the 144,000 of the Jews, 
these are here. Well, what about the rest of the Jews that weren't sealed? Come on. Think, think, think. Who are these people? That's the big question in verse 11. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God and forever and ever. Amen. And one of the uh, that, that's a scene again, chapter seven, pause in the pangs. What a revelation John is seeing. And he's, and he's into this. And then it says in 13, one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? So now he's going to, he's asking the question to John. John, who are these untold multitude in white robes with palms in their hands? Who are they? And what does John say? In verse 14, I said unto him, sir, you know. In other words, I don't have a clue who they are. Who are they? And he said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation. The 144,000 were not touched by the great tribulation. This great multitude in the last days all over the world came out of great tribulation, which means they were in it. They were in the great tribulation. Much of the church today wants a preacher rapture to get out of here. They don't know that they're going into the great tribulation for a purpose. What is the purpose? Watch. They came out of great tribulation having washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The great tribulation is for the church. It's not against the world. Remember, the great tribulation is not the wrath of God. The great tribulation is the wrath of the dragon. It is the wrath of the dragon. Revelation 12, 17 tells us that. The great tribulation is not against the world. It is against everything belonging to God. It overcomes the saints. It makes war with the saints. It opposes everything God. So the great tribulation, God is going to use it, utilize it, allow it to wash many saints. Just like in, in Ezekiel, he released those six men with their slaughtering weapons, and they brought judgment to the defiled sanctuary of Israel. This is the same thing getting ready to happen among all people all over the world in our generation. We're going into the Great Tribulation if we're not sealed with the Father's nature, authority, and seal. And there are overcomers. They're here in our generation. The general multitude is going into the Great Tribulation. John sees them coming out of the Great Tribulation. And who are they now? Therefore, are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple? So John is foreseeing this event. He that sits on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. They're going through the Great Tribulation. is going to be a hard thing, folks. A lot of people are going to fall away during the Tribulation period. But a multitude that no man can number is going to get cleaned up in the Great Tribulation. Do you see it? And the 144,000 are not being touched by it. 
but they are a government of God that is creating this atmosphere. Wow. Can you see that? I mean, is that, is that okay? Now we get to Revelation chapter 8, and I want you to listen to what it says in verse 1. So you, you have two people groups, not Jew and Gentile, the sanctified and the unsanctified, the holy and the unholy, in the house of God. This isn't against the world. What's coming down the pike in the next phase now, the first six seals, it's because God is bringing sons to fruition. He's growing up the 144,000. Now, is it only 144,000, or is it a symbolic number of a complete people who have come to completion? Well, that's something to talk about. So you have a people coming, shaking the earth because of their arrival. The devil's nervous. Revelation 12, he's standing at the womb because the woman's about to give birth to a man-child. The man-child are the overcomers who are going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. We'll talk about that when we get there. The shaking is going on in our generation right now all over the world. And it's because there's a people rising. There's other people in the body of Christ that are not rising that are caught in the world's snare. They're defiled. They're carnal. They're fleshly. They're silent. They're not being changed. They're not being conformed. They're waiting to disappear. Whatever. Okay? Whatever it is. That's the only difference between these two groups in Revelation 7. John sees this as things that are going to happen ahead. Now, Revelation chapter 8, this is a great mystery. Verse 1, and when he had opened the seventh seal, oh, I love the seventh seal teaching because from the opening of the seventh seal, so many different things transpire within that seal opening. Everything happens. From the opening of the seventh seal, all these different events transpire within that seal leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Oh, yeah. You'll see it in the scriptures. Watch this. So when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. See, is it possible right now with the first six seals opening, is it possible right now that God is actually moving through the earth? That one angel is now moving through the earth, putting a mark on the overcomers as we speak? Are we in the season of the seven spirits of God moving through the nations of the earth, seven eyes of the Lord looking for a people? Are we in that season where people are being marked? Mm. I believe so. I don't know the timing, the how longs, but there's a seal, a mark being put on the overcomers, those who are moving on with God, those who are not. Those who are not confessing, those who are not repenting, those who are not passionately striving to come into what God is doing right now, into holiness and purification. Well, there's a general thing, and there's a judgment coming on it. And in Revelation chapter 8, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. So there was this time thing going on. I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were, uh, were given seven trumpets. Okay, so the seven angels are now given seven trumpets. Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. So all the saints of God in this season that we're living in, prayers should be going up. 
We should be praying like we've never prayed before, fasting, going into all kinds of, you know, fellowship and communion and really getting ourselves primed to be with the Lord in all this moment that's going on. And some people are just kind of not paying attention at all, okay? So he sees these prayers going up. And then it says in verse 4, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. The angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it under the earth, and there were voices, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And now something's going to shift. We should be people right now, God, potentially sealing all over the world. Because just like in Ezekiel, Put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry for the abominations going on in the world or in Israel at that time. Maybe this is a sign and crying of the abominations going on in the church today. We've seen so much corruption, so much defilement, so much shame put upon Jesus Christ and the body of Christ because of all the ugly things going on in the church. It's getting ready to get judged. And so what happens? Mm. In Revelation 8, 6. And I want you to know the four winds that were being held back in Revelation 7, the four winds are connected to the first four trumpets. Because in order to get a sound out of a trumpet, there's got to be breath, the wind, the breath of God. It's going to sound. Remember, the government of God strikes the earth with plagues as often as they will. They're shaking the earth. They're prophesying to Egypt and sending the ten plagues. They're shutting up the heavens that it does not give rain for three and a half years like Elijah. And we can go on down the list how the government of God is not to make everything happy and beautiful. Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 10, I think it is, uh, I did not come to bring peace on the earth, but a sword. Now listen. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 6, and the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. They prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Is this a judgment upon the general body of Christ, of every tribe, every you know, didn't Paul write about your, you could build on a foundation, but your works will be burned up? Is this the first judgments beginning in the sanctuary of God's end time church all over the world where the green grass, the trees of the field shall clap their hands representing the body? Is this a third time of judgment? Just the third part? Huh? Maybe. Chapter uh, 8, verse 8. The second angel sounded, as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. The third part of the sea became blood. Third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. There are people that are going to be affected by these judgments. How, how is this judgment in the second trumpet? You have the first trumpet, the second trumpet. Something's happening. The two angels with the, are now blowing the trumpets. And, the, and we see these incredible cataclysmic events that are precise in their coming, and they're only allowed to do so much, right? 
judgment begins in the house of God. This is a time connected to seal the people before this comes. It looks like in Ezekiel, it's to the people of God all over the earth, not just in Israel in the days of Ezekiel. This is a global shaking. The third angel sounded in verse 10. There fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. It fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, the third part of the waters. And remember, Jesus said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Is this a judgment against the waters of the spirit that have been in people's lives because the Holy Spirit has been quenched or grieved? Come on, I don't know, but here it says, it's called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Well, are there many saints of God going to be made bitter in the last days? The love of many waxing cold? Or would beware of root of bitterness? It's springing up to files many. Is there a judgment coming to spoil the bitter, to make the bitter waters, the, what were once the waters of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the sweet waters of God? Will this time of judgment literally bring a bittering? I mean, it's coming first to the church. And then finally in verse 12, and the fourth angel sounded, the fourth fourth angel with the trumpet, the four winds, the four angels holding back the four winds. Now they're blowing. The fourth angel sounded and the third part of the sun was smitten, third part of the moon, third part of the stars. So as a third part of them was darkened and the day show not for a third part of it and the night likewise. Someone said that uh, um, Israel and, and uh, oh gosh, and the 12 tribes, the 12 stars, could this be representing the ecclesia today that the third part, the darkness is coming upon them, coming upon the minds of the masses in the church, okay, maybe all over the world, but this affects those that he's releasing the judgments against. Keep in mind Ezekiel chapter 9. Now, here's, the, here's interesting. We have four angels that just blew four trumpets, the four winds of Revelation 7 that were being withheld. Then in verse 13, I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. So there's a pause after the four winds. I believe that this Bible is telling us that there's a ceiling going on right now, and God knows who to mark and who not to mark, and there's a preservation on those he does mark, and that there's a release of judgment ready to hit this earth like we've never seen, but it's going to go. It may affect the whole world, but it's going to definitely hit people who have been defiled in the body of Christ. I think there's a connection. I know there is. Verse 13 says, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels, which are yet to sound. So again, you get into a moment of four trumpet blasts. The four winds are now blowing. They are hurting the earth. They're hurting the trees. They're hurting the grass. We recognize this in allowing the Bible to interpret itself. There's a judgment coming to the house of God in this time in our generation. It's not just global. Something's going to happen to the church in 2020 May have had a pretty good indication how the churches were shut down globally around the world. We'll talk about that, too, in a little bit. Chapter 9 of the book of Revelation describes the first or, or the next three woes. And these three woes are even a higher level 
of judgment than the four trumpets. And they were higher than the six seals. So what you see is a woman in travail, she begins with a labor pain. As time goes by, they get more intense and they're quickening. And now comes another trimester and it starts happening again, more intense, faster. And you know and I know that things that are coming on this earth are happening like an avalanche right now. Revelation chapter 9. Now, I can't go into it. I'm going to hold it back right there. I want to see what's going on in my screen. I haven't seen anybody today. And let me just say that this conversation, I don't think wow, too many people were interested in it, but that's okay. I have uh, friends, Brenda Torville was with us today. Um, I see that Cindy Messman was with us today, Charlotte Gotch, Shirley Wolseley, Terry Shannon. That's it. I don't know where everybody went in the chat room today, but that's okay. I see we have a few people on our blog talk radio. I don't see anybody listening on YouTube. I don't know what happened there. So um, yeah, Terry just brings up a great point in Romans 2, 28, 29. He is a Jew who is circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. Believers are now of the house of Jacob. His name changed to represent Israel symbolically. Followed up by 1 Corinthians 3.16, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Good preaching. Okay, thank you for that. So we don't have a lot of commentary going on. Very few people listening today. I guess they wanted to hear more about, I don't know, maybe Kenosha, Wisconsin, Rittenhouse. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Maybe you have a question. Maybe you have a comment about what you just heard. And maybe you'd like to weigh in on that and share. The number to call, 818-369-0326. Maybe turned off some people that are more messianic or people that still believe in the law of Moses. Um, I don't know. It was not intended to. I believe that God has a covenant that's way beyond the covenant of Moses, even the Ten Commandments, Jesus Christ, because everything is fulfilled in us by the act of love in the spirit. So, wow. Brian and Kathy with us. Hey, Pastor Vince, we just got electricity back on. Keep on preaching. Very important. Oh, praise the Lord. I hope you guys are doing good. I've got a call coming in. Uh, okay, praise the Lord. Let me take this call. We love hear people calling into the broadcast. So, Christ. So, let's bring area code 605 into the broadcast. Good morning. God bless you. Welcome. You're on the air. Thank you. Yes, I do have a question. Oh, this is oh. good teaching. And um, <clears throat> it's a lot to digest and study. But this is my question. Okay. The sons of God are connected with the 144,000. Is that correct? I believe so. Sons being the fuios, the mature sons of God, yes. Okay. And so when we talk about the true, the Jew, it's connected with the Bible when it's speaking of Israel, we, when this Bible was written by the prophets of old, it is to the house of Israel. And we, as a born-again Christian, like you said, we are that house. That is correct. And we have become partakers with them. And they were given the new covenant first, 
That's when Yeshua was on the earth and he was accomplishing everything on the cross, paying the price of all the old covenant curses and judgments against them for breaking that covenant. And he brought a new covenant, gave it to them first, and then he invited the Gentile nations into that covenant and making of the two one new man on the earth. Yeah, I believe that. So the one new man has to do with the kingdom of God that is coming yes. to rule <laughs> this nation. Or the whole nations of the world. Of the All world, of them. yes. Absolutely. Yes. And that's why Jesus taught some who will, uh, in the millennium, will rule over five cities. Some will rule over ten cities. Uh, you know, the government of God is rising in the earth today. And the sons of God are being marked by the Spirit of God who are coming to maturity And this is what is causing all the reaction in the world. This is where everything is happening. God is in total control. He needs his governmental body to rise in the earth so that they could be responsible to carry out his kingdom business, where so many people today are just waiting to get out of here. And so we're really not understanding and recognizing the kingdom of God. Now, I do believe that the great tribulation is coming. There will be a time where there will be no movement. It doesn't mean that the saints have been... They have failed or fallen away. It just means there's a time coming that he's given to the powers of darkness for three and a half years to bring a solar eclipse, if you will, because the darkness will never overcome the light. But uh, he's marking, I believe, with all my heart, his government. Um, And it may be going on right now. Yes, I definitely believe that. The true people of God are being marked. And they will be kept through this tribulation that we are now starting to see and will get worse like the Bible speaks about because it's called the Great Tribulation. Wonderful teaching. We've got to understand this and come into maturity from the Word of God and also in our hearts. That's it. Amen. What a wonderful call. You know, People, this is why we have to get our eyes off of our flesh, male, female, age. None of that matters. What matters is the spirit, the heart, the new creation is growing up on the inside of us. We have been born again and we're to reproduce after the seed that was sown in us. The seed that was planted in the good soil of our heart is Christ. We reproduce that seed after his kind. And that seed produces Christ's likeness. And he's coming to harvest that likeness. And he's coming to seal that likeness. This is so important to the body of Christ. Again, questions or comments, 818-369-0326 is the number to call. Um, I'm running out of time. I'm at 10:27, and these uh, guys are so kind out there. Uh, Cindy's saying, uh, "Oh, she couldn't hear the caller. I got it on for we could hear caller now. So if you call in, we could actually hear you. Praise God. Looking forward to tomorrow. We're going to be uh, sitting with our missionary friends from Honduras, Brian and Kathy. I uh, can't wait to hear what's going on in their life in the last week. I want to encourage the people that are listening, though there be very few today, um, continue, please, if you would, to pray about supporting this ministry financially. Thank you for doing it. God bless you. Remember, if you desire to get a 
hoodie or a t-shirt, you could always go to bit.ly forward slash Jesus and get your Don't Shed On Me uh, shirt. That's available to everybody. Um, if you would just like it as a Christmas or as a gift to people, whether it's Christmas or not, um, that's available to you. And um, I think we had a pretty decent morning. I'm happy with what I shared. And it is something to really consider the times that we're living in right now. Because that first trumpet blows, it's going to be a doozy. And it's going to be the beginning of the next level of judgment, not so much on the world as it is going to be directed at believers all over the earth. Time of judgment in the house of God for every attitude for all of our conduct. Man, we should be fearing God right now. Really fearing God right now. Presuppositions, imaginations, we should be fearing God right now. It is true. Walk humbly before our God. Love mercy. Love the body of Christ. Bring healing to those who are sick. Encourage those who are weak. Pray that they will be able to get through the days that lie ahead. For all of us, pray. That's our prayer today. Shalom, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless you.